is the positive side. Repentance sees its wickedness. A man repents because of his sin. His breaking the laws of God. The Spirit of God makes him see that he's a sinner. And he looks to Christ in faith because of the gospel promise. Now, is it always that nice and neat in people's experience? Well, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. All I'm establishing is the order the Scripture sets this before us over and over. Repentance and believing. Chapter 2 of Timothy 2.25 2 Timothy 2.25 It says, Paul instructing Timothy in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Repentance unto the acknowledging of the truth. Believing the truth. Faith. Repentance and believing. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, fundamental issues, let us go on into perfection. Let's grow up. Let's grow to maturity, we're being told. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Well, how does this work together? What's the solution to this? There isn't any doubt that the words faith and believe together far outweigh the number of times the word repent and repentance are, are used in, in the New Testament. Certainly, the lion's share is towards faith. We would not deny that. However, as I said a while ago, the heart of the problem lies in seeing repentance or faith as two entirely distinct acts one of which must come before the, uh, the other in order of experience. You see, when we hear the gospel preached from the lips of Christ to the apostles, and, and I urge you to do this, read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read the book of Acts and hear how Peter preaches. Look at Paul and see how he preaches. There are no canned messages. There's no, all right, now I've got four steps for you right here. If you can check them off, you're in the kingdom. There isn't anything like that. In fact, you will see a surprising lack of formula in the preaching of the gospel. Our problem comes when we formalize and systematize and then expect for a miracle to fall out exactly the way we've diced up the Scriptures. When we take repentance and faith 
and separate them and then say, okay, let's see, you've got to have this, this experience here and then you've got to have this experience there. All right, now you've got the proper order and you must be saved. Brethren, people that have done this on both sides have caused a great deal of chaos in the preaching of the gospel. If we examine the scriptures carefully, we see that they belong together. They belong together. When they are found together in the scripture, repentance is mentioned first. And for an obviously logical reason. You're not going to change your mind about your sins until you are convicted by the Holy Spirit of their blackness and their corruption. There is never saving repentance without its partner, its associate, faith. And there is never saving faith that has not changed its mind. Brethren, do you understand this? Does this sound like wordplay? I hope it doesn't. We must understand this. Another way of saying it would be evangelical repentance is a believing change of mind. Why in the world do I look at my sin and say, yes, it's awful, it's horrible. It is a crime against the God of heaven and earth. I've begun to believe, have I not? Until God begins to deal with your heart, you don't think your sins are that bad. You're not that bad a guy, are you? You don't deserve to be in hell forever. Really? You're not that bad. Unless the Spirit of God tells you who you are. And in order for you to start changing your mind, you're believing. You're believing the Word of God. You're beginning faith. And brethren, evangelical faith is a penitent faith. It's a repenting faith. Saving faith is the faith that looks off of its sins and looks to the Savior. Why does it do that? It's changed its mind about its sin. They are inseparable. I'll run at this one more time. Why do I want Jesus Christ to save me in the first place? Is it not because I see my sin is filthy and damning in the sight of a holy God? Repentance arises from conviction of sin. The Word of God, the truth of God, is brought to my heart by a man, a booklet, a tract, I read it in the Scriptures. But the truth comes to me. And I see my sins. If I want God to forgive me, if I want God to deliver me from the sins I so fervently cling to, 
have I not changed my mind? When I am believing that Jesus Christ is the only hope for sinners, I didn't believe that before. I changed my mind. There is no saving faith without repentance. There is no true repentance without saving faith. They are always together. If you take your repentance and throw it a couple of months back there and then hope you get to faith someday, that's not real repentance. There may be strong emotions. But repentance changes its mind and turns and looks. That's why the elements of conversion are repentance and faith. The word conversion means to turn. By repenting, we turn believing Christ. They're joined together. And one or the other of them may be more clearly in my mind as I'm going through that. Depending on your circumstances, depending on the, 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 the depths of the sin in your life, depending on how the gospel is preached when you hear it, And brethren, that's why it's so vital that we get this right. Because it impinges upon the way we preach the gospel. Jesus said, Repent ye and believe the gospel. He wasn't saying, Do this one week and then bring your repentance to me and let me see if it's good enough. And well, yeah, that's, you've cried enough and you've felt bad enough. You can look to me. Brethren, when it's preached that way, it can be devastating to convicted souls. In the name of grace, they can turn men into worksmongers. Do you understand this? I've even read some good men saying, and come, bringing your repentance. No! Repent, believing Christ! Don't bring anything and say, look at this. If you did it, it's pitiful. I mean, if I did it, it's vile, corrupt, tainted with my sin. I don't come and say, look at my repentance anymore than I come and say, look at my faith. He says, look to my son. Repent and believe. And that is why often we will find in the Scriptures repentance used by itself. Belief not even mentioned. John writes a whole Gospel and doesn't even mention repentance. He just talks about believing all the way through. I mean, are they all fighting against each other? No. They both know. They all knew. They were inseparable things. If you tell a man to believe the Lord Jesus Christ who truly has some sense of his sin, what are you telling him to believe? Jesus Christ saves sinners. The God-man came to this world to save wicked, hell-deserving sinners. He came and became a man to keep the law that his people never kept. He came to die upon the cross bearing all the fury of His Father's righteous indignation. 
And on the third day, God in His great glory raised Him up from the dead and declared to all the universe the glories of a resurrected Savior. What are we preaching to men? Well, today, we're telling, Jesus, telling people Jesus is their buddy and He's, you know, he's kind of like the, the great holy psychologist. Are you messed up? Are you mixed up? Well, Jesus can straighten that out. He becomes the great problem solver. Brethren, that is damnable. Because sinners need to know there's a Savior. And if you really want to be saved from your sins, you have to believe on Christ. And if you're truly believing on Christ to do what? Save you from your sins. You're changing your mind. You've changed your mind about your sin. You don't want to go on in it. You want to be set free. And Christ sets men free. If I want God to forgive me and deliver me from my sins that I so fervently love and cling to, have I not changed my mind? And have I not changed my mind because I believe God's truth? Which one comes first? Well, if you can get regeneration under a microscope and break it up into little systematic parts, maybe you can get the final answer. But the point is, when Jesus says, repent and believe, He's talking about two things that go together. And that brings us to consider this. These two are always, always together, and they are two sides of the same coin. It is true, our brethren that say, oh, look upon Christ. There are many who have come savingly looking to Christ, and they've repented far more later on than they did at their conversion. I have no argument with that. We're always to be repenting. Brethren, you get a good glimpse of yourself. You can't but repent. The reason so many people don't repent is they have religion, but they've never seen themselves. So, that brings us to the last thing we want to consider. The miracle of repentance and faith. Jesus says, now, repent and believe. But we will never do either one apart from a miracle of God's grace. Repenting and believing alike are alike in that both spring forth from the miracle of the new birth. Neither is an act of the flesh, nor can by our wills we work it up in our lost and miserable condition friends we will never change our minds about the sin to which we so tenaciously cling our idolatrous sins are deeply entangled with everything that gives meaning to life for the lost you hear that? Don't let this slip by. Our idolatrous sins are deeply entangled with everything that gives meaning to life for the lost. Why do you sin? Because you like it. Oh no, it makes me miserable. But you like it when you do it. 
You sin because you love it. And you love it because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You're not a victim of society. You are a victim of your own heart if you want to be a victim. We covet our neighbor's house or his wife or his servants or his other stuff. And we want more and more for ourselves. Our empty souls are black holes that suck in the trinkets and the baubles and the trash that the world offers. Because it's more comfortable than taking up the cross daily and denying ourselves and following after Christ. Possessions and wealth promote our importance, our status. They satisfy our insatiable cravings. We just like more stuff. Mammon makes life enjoyable to us, does it not? Sensuality and immorality, they delight us, they intoxicate us, they thrill us. Lying works to our advantage, so we'll lie. Or it gives us a sense of superiority. It's wonderful to lie about how the thing went so that you look a little better in the, in the way things went down. We lie to protect ourselves. Did you do that? Mm-mm. Gluttony. Drugs. Alcohol. Addictions of every sort all pacify our emptiness, our loneliness, our failures, our rejections, or they medicate our pain. But we love them. That's why we do them. For these and many other reasons. And we attempt to escape the miseries of life by clutching to the very things that ultimately destroy and damn us. We love our sins and we will cleave to them until they sink us into hell. We are dead in trespasses and sins and will remain in that horrifying condition unless God in His mercy makes us alive in Christ. We will never radically change our minds about our dearly beloved sins and we will never believe Christ crucified and resurrected to deliver us from them unless God intervenes by grace. And brethren... In His great love, He does. He really saves sinners. But He didn't just come to make the lonely feel better. He didn't come to just doctor up the hurts of life. He came to save sinners. Have you repented and believed on Him? Repentance is a gift from God. When the council and the high priest forbade Peter and the other apostles from preaching the gospel, Peter replied, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a, a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel. To give repentance to Israel. And later in Acts chapter 11, verse 18 
When the Jews were stunned by God's miraculous work in Cornelius' home, they held their peace, they glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Paul's the one that tells us that faith is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are called to repent and to believe, neither of which we will do apart from the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. But when He comes, we will. Look at the day of Pentecost. 3,000 who had said, Kill Him, now worshipped Him. It was a radical change of mind that led to a change of life. Let me set before you these four errors and then we'll close. Here are the errors regarding this issue. There are others, but these are the primary ones. Overemphasizing repentance as something separate from faith can leave sinners under the impression that they must experience a certain grief, a certain number of tears before they can believe on Christ. Brethren, that's no exaggeration. I've seen it many times. Overemphasizing repentance, secondly, as something separate from faith, can leave sinners with the notion that they must stop all sinning before they can come to the Savior. No one can do that. But there must be a radical break in your heart. Now, you can't stop all of your sinning in order to come to Christ. But when the Holy Spirit of God convicts you and you see that it will damn you, you want to be free of it, to believe the Savior. You want to be free of it and believe the Savior. Thirdly, overemphasizing repentance can be destructive to the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy Son. The song says, Thy cross. But it's simply to thy son I cling. We don't come and say, Look, did I repent enough now? Can I have salvation now? Have I, have I wept enough? Have I hated myself enough? Have I loathed myself enough? Am I scumbag enough now to come to Christ? Do you see what you are? Do you see who He is? Flee to Him. Overemphasizing faith as something separate from repentance can leave sinners with the impression that they can believe on Jesus without having to be concerned about a change of life. Well, that's the religion of our day. Yep. All this and Jesus too. No. They must go together, friends. The gospel calls sinners to come to Jesus as a Savior from sin. Are 
you a sinner. The lips of the Master say this, Repent ye and believe. Change your mind, come to me. Jesus did not come to assure sinners that they will go to heaven even though they remain in a sinful, selfish lifestyle. Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. Brethren, Repent ye and believe. Do not work your way into God's graces. If He by His Word and Spirit has shown you your wicked and vile heart, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the promise of God's Word. You will be saved. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D, M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying His word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing 
and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.